take your seats, praise the Lord. If you just, uh, from verse 16, if you would follow it with me again. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. That's the first thing that happens when Christ comes again. There is a shout. And then there is the voice of the archangel, the trump of God. Nothing secret or silent about it. The dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever, shall we ever be with the Lord. Turn over to Second Thessalonians. I'm going to speak on God's end time calendar. Often this is not touched on much, but I believe it's crucial that we're aware of where we are in God's end time calendar. Second Thessalonians, reading from chapter 2. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind, or be troubled neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter, as from us, as the day of Christ is at hand, or it is near. Let no man deceive you by any means. Let no man deceive you by any means. For that day, this is the day that we're speaking of, the Lord himself, when he shall descend, for that day shall not come. It shall not come except there come a falling away first. There's an order. And that the man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. That day shall not come except there come a falling away. A falling away. God's prophetic calendar is currently being fulfilled as we witness the falling away, the apostasia, the defection from the truth. That's what that means, the defection from the truth. The truth is a person, and his name is Jesus. There will be a defection. There is a defection from Jesus Christ. These are not people who are fake Christians. These are people who have been saved, who have come to taste of the heavenly gift, and through deception in the last days, that they will defect from Jesus Christ. It's called the apostasy, the great falling away. We are currently living in that time, we are living in the falling away. Most of this message is quite sober, but I can only share with you what the Lord has, has put on my heart to share. There is a great falling away that we are witnessing a defection from the truth. There is a sifting amongst the body of Christ there is a shaking of the nations. A lot of these things aren't new to you. I know we're well versed on them. God's just been sharing, revealing some things that I, I feel I need to share. What we're witnessing in the physical is just really the manifestation or the fruit of where the church has been for many years. We shouldn't be horrified that the churches are closed. And the lights have been turned out. Because for a long time, in a spiritual sense, the lights have been out and the doors have been closed. We're simply seeing the fruit of where it has been for a very long time. It was maybe about 20 years ago when God stirred some of our hearts here for revival. 
but even back then and even before that. Spiritually, the doors had already been closed and the spiritual light had already been turned off. There was still much activity. There was still much building, progressing, expanding. But spiritually, we'd come to a time that ere the lamp in the temple had gone out. We are witnessing just simply the fruit of a generation. I'm talking more this morning in a general sense concerning the church rather than specific. But if the Lord speaks to us, may God speak to us and may we receive it. But in a generation of what I've known the church, I know some people here have been part of it longer than me, but for a whole generation, and I believe before that, the church, the church of Jesus Christ, I don't say this in judgment, I don't say this in, to be honest with you, it would, it would break your heart. The witness of what the church has become, largely James covers it in James 3 when he talks about bitter envying and strife, a sensual wisdom that was not from God, that had overcome the church. It was earthly. The Bible says this. It was earthly. It was sensual. And actually James says in James 3 and 15 that it was satanic. There was a satanic wave over the church. Church splits. Church divisions. Bitterness. Envying. Gossip. Immorality moral standards being compromised. Yet in all of it, there was a facade of we are the Bible belt of Europe. The Bible says where envying and strife is, there is confusion. And listen to these words. Every, every evil work. Every evil work. And so we're really, COVID really, has been a vehicle in many respects just to manifest where things have been for a very long time. Ezekiel, if you turn with me please this morning, Ezekiel chapter 33. Ezekiel chapter 33. Verse 1, Ezekiel 33 and verse 1 the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, speak to the children of my, thy people, and say unto them, When I bring the sword upon a land, when God brings the sword upon the land, if the people of the land take a man of their coast, set him for their watchman, if he see the sword come upon the land, and he blow the trumpet and warn the people, then whosoever heareth the sound of the trumpet and taketh not warning, if the sword come and takes him away, his blood shall be upon his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet, but did not take warning. His blood shall be upon him, but he that taketh warning shall deliver his soul. And if the watchman sees the sword come, and blow not the trumpet, and the people be not warned, if the sword come and take any person from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at the watchman's hand. See now, O son of man, I have set thee a watchman under the house of Israel. Therefore thou shalt hear the word of my mouth and warn them from me. God says when he brings a sword, when he brings the sword upon the land, that phrase, the sword upon the land, speaks of an execution of judgment upon the nation. This is first brought to us by God in Leviticus chapter 26, if you would turn back for a moment. In this book, as God is dealing with Israel in the physical, warning them and telling them as he sets forth his ways of blessing and his ways in which he will bring judgment or chastise them to them. In obeying his word, God's going to bless his people. Obedience always brings the blessing of the Lord. In disobedience, you'll experience the chastisement of God upon your life. 
And thank God if God does chastise us because it's a sign that he loves us and that he wants to restore us and bring him to himself. But as God is dealing with Israel, and I want to cover some verses here, Leviticus chapter 26. And remember this, the sword falls upon the land. Leviticus 26 and 14, the Lord says, If you will not hearken unto me, and will do, but if you will not hearken unto me, and will not do all these commandments, and if you despise my statutes, or if, you sh- if your soul abhor my judgments, so that ye will not do all my commandments, but that ye break my covenant, I will also do this unto you. I will even appoint over you terror, consumption, burning, I group, excuse me, <clears throat> that shall consume the eyes and cause sorrow of heart, and ye shall sow your seed in vain, for your enemies shall eat it. And I will set my face against you, and ye shall be slain before your enemies. They that hate you shall reign over you, and ye shall flee when none pursueth you. And if you will not yet for all this hearken unto me, then I will punish you seven times more for your sins. And I will break the pride of your power, and I will make your heaven as iron and your, and your earth as brass. And your strength shall be spent in vain, for your land shall not yield her increase, neither shall the trees of the land yield her fruits. And if you walk contrary to me and will not hearken to me, I will bring seven times more plagues upon you according to your sins. I will also send wild beasts among you, which shall rob you of your children and destroy your cattle and make you few in number, and your highways shall be desolate. And if you will not be reformed by me by these things, if there's not a return, if there's not a repentance, if there's not a reviving, if these things do not cause you to turn back to me, this is what God is saying, and you will walk contrary to me, then will I walk also contrary to you, and I will punish you yet seven times for your sins. And here is the first time that you find this reference. And I will bring a sword upon you and shall avenge the quarrel of my covenant which and when you're gathered together within your cities i will send listen to what he says i will send pestilence i will send plagues god will send plagues among you and ye shall be delivered into the hand of the enemy when the sword is falling We are longing for our nation, are we not, to turn to God? Is is there not a, a cry in our prayers, and rightly so, that we're saying, God, in the midst of this, will you cause, will you cause the nation to turn? Will you cause our government to turn? Will you cause our people to turn to God? Our cry is, God, would you do a work amongst our people, cause them to turn? And yet it seems hard. And harder and harder again. It seems that there is no thought of turning to God. No mention of God. Nothing. There is a pursuit. And there is a, and there's a way that man is taking that. And no way man is going to fix the mess. Yet the watchmen are crying that the sword is falling on the nation. Because it's actually the judgment of God. I know that's not popular even amongst the church, but it is the judgment of God upon the nation. And we're crying to God, God, cause the nation to turn. Lord, we need to turn this nation back to God. We we need a turn in all of this. Turn means repent. We're calling out, we're praying, and it's right that we do. God, will our nation not turn back to you? For the hope of our young people, for the hope of this nation, for the hope of, of every person and every home in Balnehenge and Kilkeel and Belfast and Lisburn and wherever we are from. God, Lord, would you turn your nation back to you? And yet, it seems that there's no movement. Actually, it's the opposite, really. And I mentioned it on Wednesday as... Those plagues swept into Egypt time and time again. Do you know, 14 times the Bible says about Pharaoh's heart was hardened. He hardened his heart against the judgment of God. 
They're hardening their hearts against God, even as the sword is falling upon the land. Do you know what the sobering thought of it all is this? At the end of it, it was not Pharaoh that hardened his heart, but it was the Lord that hardened his heart. That's a different thing altogether. When God hardens a nation's heart, Romans chapter 1 speaks of the great give-ups of God, that God would give them up. The Bible says that my spirit shall not always strive with man. We think we can play with God. We can play with his church. We can play with the things of God. God will not be mocked, friend. Inferno hardened his heart, but then God hardened it. I want to tell you that the real tragedy, this came very, very heavy when I was seeking the Lord, but God really impressed this upon my heart and the real tragedy today, friends, in everything that's what's happening. As we cry out, and it's right that we do, that the nation, that the nation would turn to God. You know, I felt it so strong in prayer. God says, but my people won't turn. My people won't turn. We cry for the nation to turn, but the heart of God is my people that are called by my name. They haven't turned. I felt the Lord begin to impress just on my heart, and I'm just saying what he impressed upon me, but he began to impress heavy upon me the hypocrisy of the church that pleads for the world to turn when the church itself won't turn. The hardness and the sin, and I'm not talking about in the last week or the last days, I'm talking about in a generation that we now have been part of the church of Jesus Christ, the body of Christ. I'm talking about a broader understanding and an overview of where and what has happened and why we are in the mess that we are in currently. It just not has not it just hasn't happened in a night. It hasn't happened in a week. It hasn't happened in a month. It hasn't happened in a year. This has happened over a generation. As the church has turned away from the God that it once loved and adored and worshipped. And replaced that adoration and that worship with everything else but Him. But we carry on regardless. Thinking that there's no consequence to have church without Jesus. To live a Christian life without the power of the Holy Ghost. And God began to impress on me the hardness, the sin, the pride that's in the church. We're great at pointing out someone else's faults and pride, but rarely do we say, God, is it me? The gossip, the murmuring, the division, and every evil act and God simply said, when my people turn, then the nation's going to turn. Can you imagine, friends, that if the church of our day obeyed God's word as fervently as she's chosen to obey the COVID guidelines, and I'm for that, I'm not saying I'm against that, but if she did, can you imagine the blessing of the Lord in the church? Think about it this morning. If the church obeyed the word of God as fervent as she is, and I'm talking collectively on what all we hear and see, if she really obeyed the word of the Lord like she was obeying the guidelines, can you imagine the revival we'd be in? That's what God's saying to me. Can you even begin to think for a moment that if we obeyed the word of the Lord, that if we obeyed him first and what God's word says, can you even begin to imagine the blessing of the Lord upon his people? Can you imagine if we feud sin like we feud COVID-19? If we feud sin like the virus, can I tell you, friends, we'd be in revival in the morning. Can you imagine if we put a guard on our mouth 
The way we have to wear masks and in to shops and shopping centers and coming through these doors this morning. If we had to, in the same way, put a guard, a spiritual guard on our mouths, on our tongues. And guard what we say and who we speak about. And the murmuring, the complaining and the backbiting. I'm talking about the years of this. Years of it in Ulster. Church divisions and fights and everything that goes on. And all the gossip. And we put a guard on our mouth like we guard against the virus. Friends, revival would be here in the morning. Can you imagine? Can you imagine, friends, that we put that guard on our tongue? The Bible says that the tongue is a fire and a world of iniquity in the tongue among our members. That it defileth the whole body. Think about that. From 1993, when I got saved, and being part of the body when you get saved, but being exposed to church life over a generation, over a whole life of 47 years. I'm talking about in a general sense. I'm not talking about the specific. But friends, I want to tell you something. I've seen as much um, enough of divisions and schisms and brokenness and turn the back out of one another, and jealousy and envy and strife and maligning. I tell you, friends, you probably wouldn't even get it in the pub the way you've got it in the church. I tell you, I didn't hear as much of it down in the Copacabana bar as much as I've heard of it in the church. A world of iniquity that defileth the body, setteth on fire the course of nature. And it is, listen to what the Bible says, it, it is set on fire of hell. Hell has run rampant through the church of Jesus Christ in Ulster. I'm not talking about one denomination, I'm talking about the broader aspect. Can you imagine if we treated if we treated and guarded our mouths the same way in which we're living our lives today as a church to guard our mouths with a mask to prevent a virus from infecting someone else? Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Listen. If we cleansed our hands spiritually as much as we're cleansing them physically. We use the pump on the way in this morning. We clean our hands. Do you know what the Bible says? Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart who had not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. If the church was so fixated, and it's right that we cleanse our hands, I'm not going against the regulations. What I'm saying is, if we were so passionate about sin, and fleeing sin, and cleansing our hands, and washing our hands, do you think we'd be somewhere different? Let me ask you, friend, this morning, where's your hands been this week? We physically cleanse every entrance you go through. There's a spray or there's someone standing there and they're ready to spray you down. I wonder if the church was awakened to such a consciousness that God hates sin and he's a holy God. And he requires of his people to live a holy life. I wonder how many of us wouldn't be so concerned. And we should be in the natural to clean our hands. But oh God, how we cleansed our hands spiritually even to enter God's house. Can you imagine if we treated sin the same way that we're treating the virus collectively as a nation? There's an outbreak. What do we do? Close it. The virus. There's an outbreak. Close it down. Give it a deep clean. 
Wonder when the last time God's house has been cleansed and a deep clean has come. The next time there's an outbreak of gossip, let's close the church. The next time some brother's being maligned or some sister is being maligned in the house of God, let's close the church. Let's get right. You'll never hear that cry from the pulpits. Remember years ago, sitting at a table with several men, and then one man began to malign a dear sister in the Lord. I tell you, my heart just began to sink and sink and sink. I began to get grieved. I knew I needed to leave. But friends, I want to tell you, I don't want to lose that grieving. But it's okay for me to do it. That's the way some people think. I believe David feud sin. And we should feud the same way. He said, Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts and in the hidden part. Thou shalt make to know wisdom, purge me with hyssop, clean me, wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness and the bones which thou hast broken. May my bones rejoice again. Hide thy face from my sins, blot out all mine iniquities, create in me a clean heart. O oh God, renew your right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. We need the presence of God. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. The lights are turned off. The doors are closed. Friends, let me tell you something. It's only a manifestation of where it's been for years. Do we deal with sin? Do we deal with sin like we deal the way we're dealing as a church? I'm talking about the whole thing. Do we deal with sin the same way we're dealing with the virus? I tell you, we'd be in revival in the morning. I mean we'd be in revival. I know this is from the heart of God to me. Do we deal with sin? Let me ask you, friends, does the church deal with fornication? Do you deal with fornication? Like a way we're dealing with the virus? Do we deal with pride? Do we deal with pride like the way we're dealing with the virus? Do we deal with pornography? Do we deal with pornography the way that we're dealing with the virus? And let me tell you, friends, I know this to be true. That pornography and the internet has got into the church of Jesus Christ and it has absolutely destroyed the calling and the integrity and has taken the power of God from the church. If we think that it's just going to be fill me and I'm ready to go without a holy life, friends, you need to read this book again. We see that pornography and the internet has infiltrated houses and homes and men and women. But do we deal with pornography like we deal with the virus? No. What's God saying? I want to tell you what God's saying. That we are hypocritical. We are so fixated on the outward that we don't want God to deal with the heart. Do we deal with lying? Like we deal with the virus. Do we deal with stealing? Like we do with the virus. Do we deal with uh, watching inappropriate movies? Like we deal with the virus? Do we deal with listening to the devil's music like we deal with the virus? Do we deal with busybodying like we deal with the virus? What does that mean? Spending our days on Facebook going from house to house to find out what people are doing. Years ago with no Facebook, but if somebody kept following me around the streets, they were a creep. But today, it's social media. Friends, it's a creepy thing. It's not right. And the church is filled with it. Who's saying what? Where are they going? What are they doing? What are they up to? What have they posted? Do we deal with the virus? Like we deal with busybodying. But it's social media. 
Right? Now, change the name to make it acceptable. Really? God's saying we're crying for the nation to turn. But he's saying, I want my people to turn. We're so focused on the outward now. We're so focused on ticking all the boxes. It's not wrong. We need to do what's right as best as we can. But oh, I'd love to see the passion. The passion that we see in the church today. I'm talking about the whole thing as I hear it. I'd love to see the passion that there is to obey and to meet the requirements and the guidelines for the government. Oh, to God, that the church would say we want to please God the same way. God's saying, listen, God's saying, it's hypocrisy. You'd rather please man than please me. You'd rather judge men on the outward. You'd rather judge men on the outward by maybe missing one, one T that isn't crossed or one I that isn't dotted, but in your own heart you know you haven't turned. God said, if I shut up heaven and there be no rain, if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send a pestilence, a virus, a plague amongst my people. But of my people, he said. He said of my people. He didn't say of the nation. He said my people. The people that are called by my name. If they would humble themselves. If they would pray. If they would seek my face. If they would turn from their wicked way. Then I'll hear from heaven. And he says I'll forgive their sin. And what did he say he would do? He'd heal their land. Some might say, and I've heard it said, that's Old Testament, doesn't apply to us. Well, James says in the New Testament, God resists the proud. He'll give grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. He will flee. Draw nigh to God. He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands. Cleanse your hands. You sinners. He's speaking to the church. He's not speaking to the world. Purify your hearts. You double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and God's going to lift us up. God's going to lift us up. If we see the sword, do you see it, friend? Do you see the sword? Do you see the sword has fallen on our nation? Do you, can, you, can you grasp that? Can you see it? Some people don't. I'm just trying to convey it to you as best as I can, but may God, the Holy Spirit, may he convey the reality of what's happening. The sword has fallen upon our nation. And if we see the sword has fallen, then we have a duty to do something. He said that we have to blow the trumpet. Blow the trumpet. Isaiah and Isaiah 58 cries aloud and spares on and says, Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Jeremiah, blow ye the trumpet in the land. Gather together and say, Assemble yourselves. Joel, blow the trumpet in Zion. Sound the alarm in my holy mountain that all the inhabitants of the land tremble for the day of the Lord cometh. It's very near. Blow the trumpet. Paul writes these words in Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 14 and 6. He says, Now, brethren, if I come to you speaking with tongues, what shall a prophet you accept? I speak to you either by revelation or by knowledge or by prophesying or by doctrine. In other words, we believe in speaking in tongues, but if I just spoke in tongues to you, then you're not going to understand what I'm saying. What he's saying here is when I come 
then I'm going to speak to you by revelation or by knowledge or by prophesying or by doctrine. In verse 8, he says, For if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself to the battle? We read this morning that whosoever hears the sound of the trumpet, take not warning. If the sword comes and take him away, his blood shall be upon his head. He heard the sound of the trumpet. He took not warning. His blood shall be upon him. But he that taketh warning shall deliver his soul. But if the watchman see the sword come and doesn't blow the trumpet and the people be not warned. There's been an uncertain sound. There's been an uncertain sound in the pulpits across this nation. An uncertain, not totally, but the majority has been an uncertain sound. The day when the when the man of God, and I just don't believe it's a pulpit thing, I believe it's a, a, a believer thing that we should be clear, that we should be proclaiming, that our sound should be loud and clear. But there's a responsibility on the pulpits and the men of God that stand and hold this book and preach this gospel. But if there's an uncertain sound, and friend, the sound has been uncertain. How can they be ready? How can they be ready for the coming? The coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. How can they be ready? The sword has come. And I know many, I meet many, just in the worldly sense, like you do as well, just meeting people. Many are just two or three months worth through it. I meet many believers that are saying, two or three months, it's all going to be all right. God's prophetic calendar, friends, that's not what's going to happen. Yes, there might be lulls. Yes, there might be periods of some we're, we're back into some type of normality. Yes, when the spring comes, you might experience something I don't really know. But we have now entered, and we'll look at it in the weeks ahead, but we are now fully engaged and into period of time that the Bible calls the beginning of sorrows. That's the moment like when a woman goes into labor. This will continue right through the tribulation to the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't let up. People think there's the beginning of sorrows, then we get that over us, and then we'll get to the great tribulation and we'll sort that out, and then the pangs of this earth, the groans of this planet, this isn't climate change, friends. This is a world that's groaning for its creator. And they've already begun. The labor pains are here. Many people know that. What happens with labor pains, not that I know anything about them, but certainly witnessed them and watched them, is as it's coming to the birth, what happens, ladies? They increase. It gets very intense. Isn't that true? So this thought that's whirling around all our hopes are in this and that and the other, I want to tell you something, friend. In God's prophetic calendar, we're about to enter into such an intensity that this world, actually the Bible says, the world has never witnessed or seen before. Oh, Tim, could we not have just had something different? I want to tell you, friend, 
I'd love to preach something different. But I know that God has spoke to me. And so the swords come. And the games that we have seen for a generation. I'm not talking about the last week, the last I'm not talking about I'm talking about God is looking down and saying a generation, a church age where it's been games, playing church, fights, sin, churches riddled with immorality, riddled with immorality, riddled with it. People think that nobody sees it. People think that they can carry on in the outward. I'll keep on washing my hands. I'll keep on wearing my mask. I'll keep on doing all the guidelines. And God's saying, why would you not do that for me? God's prophetic calendar is meticulous. Let me tell you, friends, it's meticulous. It's being fulfilled with certainty. Before your very eyes, and we'll come to this, but before your very eyes in your generation and in your day, you are witnessing and seeing God fulfill every word that he said would happen in our day. I think what happens sometimes with us, because life is busy and we just carry on we're through January. We're into February. Everything's going fast. We have busy lives. That sometimes, friend, I want to encourage you, stop for a moment. Open the Word. Begin to read. And you'll see for a moment, my God, it's at the door. Jesus said, till heaven and earth pass, not one jot or one tittle shall be in no wise passed from the law. All, till all will be fulfilled. See, everything that you read, Matthew 24, I know there's diversity. Eschatology is a wonderful subject. I know there's diversity in it. But see, everything you literally read, everything will literally be fulfilled. Now you men will give different and I will give different interpretations, outlook, diversity or angles to things. But I'm going to tell you something very simply. Everything that you read in Matthew 24, what we read this morning, there is about to be that trumpet sound. There is about, the clouds are about to break. Christ is about to come. The dead in Christ are about to raise. We which are alive and remain are ready to be caught up to meet the Lord in the earth. Every word. Actually in Jeremiah, the Lord said to Jeremiah, Thus saith the Lord, I will hasten. That word hasten means watch over. Jeremiah 1 and 12. I will watch over my word to perform it. I am going to perform every single prophecy that he sat on the Mount of Olives with those disciples and said what would happen. Every single word will come to pass. Now concerning God's prophetic calendar, what happens in these days first is a falling away, is a defection from the truth. That's a person. People, listen, I, I know there's a lot of doctrinal differences and things that people hold passionately, but you can't fall away from something you haven't been in. These are people that were saved, that have tasted, that walked, that know Christ, that tasted of the Lord and know that he's good. And then the deception, the coldness of heart, the increase of iniquity. Iniquity will arise, the love of many will wax cold. Then the deception of false Christ, antichrists, the antichrist spirit, false teachers, false prophets, and so forth. That will sweep in, has swept in. It's not going to, it already has. And then there's a defection, there's an apostasy from the truth. We, brothers and sisters, are full in to the fallen away. Are you hearing me this morning? We are in it. 
This is not something up the road. We're already here. The falling away has already started. It started many years ago. I don't know the date, but it's already begun. The false teachers have infiltrated the body of Christ. False prophets come in many different guises from many different avenues. They're well-known. They're popular. They're thought well of. They bring in doctrines that uh, 50 years ago, none of the denominations in the churches would even have entertained because it was so holy and so full of the power of God that they were able to discern that which is right and that which is wrong before the Lord. If I was to ask you this question, I'm going to ask it, but please don't shout it out. But just in your heart, I want you to answer it. The most important thing about eschatology, the study of end times, what would be your reply? Just answer it in your heart. When I come to ask this question, what is the most important thing concerning eschatology, the study of end times, what in your heart would you answer? If you've answered anything but Jesus, you're susceptible to deception. If you answered anything but Jesus, be careful. Because you know what this is all about? A man called Jesus. You know what end times are about? Revelation chapter 1 and verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ. Friends, be careful. I have a great passion. I've shared it with you, but I have a great passion. People say it doesn't sound like it, but I have a great passion for the body of Christ, for the church of Jesus Christ. I want to see the church revived. I mean, I really, I want to see a church on fire for God. I don't care where it is. It doesn't matter even the label above it. You know what I really want to see? I want to see the church on fire for God. I know that's the answer to every community, a local fellowship on fire, full of the Holy Ghost. I have a passion for the church. You have a passion for the church. I want to see the church full of God, on fire for God, turning the world upside down. But if I had answered, what's the end times all about? And if I had said, the church? Let me tell you something. I could very easily be deceived. If I'd have said the Antichrist, and we'll look at some of those things, is not wrong to study them. Please don't get me wrong. If I had have said the Antichrist, and I know the Antichrist is real. I know that way back at the beginning of the church, we are told that he was there, that he was functioning. The Antichrist has been operating through every century of the church, but in the last days, there is an increase and there's a manifestation that we are now witnessing of an antichrist spirit, but if that becomes my fixation and my focus, you could be deceived. If the fixation comes the mark of the beast, and we'll look at the mark of the beast, because we're heading for a cashless society, we're heading straight into that, and we're looking at that now, if though, ah, it's just going to happen. I mean, it's not even, it doesn't even waken us. It doesn't even move us. Like we're living, watching all these things come together. The Antichrist, the spirit of Antichrist, the cashless society, the mark of the beast. Everything's all before us. It's within a hand's reach. It's all happening. And like it's, hey. But if you had answered, the end times is all about the mark of the beast. I want to tell you something, friend. Listen to me. You're susceptible to deception. Do you know what I've witnessed in the last, I would say, 15, 20 years? Remember, Brother Clendenin always used to say it. I thought I understood what he said, but now I really know what he was saying. What's happened in the church is that we have 
replaced Christ being the center and the all in all. And we've made it other things. Do you know what happens when that takes place? Deception is rampant. He said these words, he said there'll come a day or we're in a day where we'll worship worship. I always, because I love worship, I always was trying to, but never a day have I seen it so clear. That YouTube thing, and the next minute someone's up and everyone's worshiping each other. They're worshiping worship. Jesus spoke to that church, that first church in Revelation, church that was doing well. But then he said, I've something against you. You've left, you've left your first love. You see, when you lose or leave your first love, you'll replace it with loving something else. We'll love something else. There'll be something in his place. There'll be something that takes his place. I want to tell you, friends, the church has lost its first love. And it's replaced that first love with something else. You know, years ago, you know, sometimes, I don't know where you're, I think you probably are all the same or not. We're just, sometimes you can't convey, but there's some type of witness in your spirit. Anybody know, you just, you know, I've watched, you see all that whole business world come into the church, that whole music business world. You can't really convey it, but you're, saying this all sounds right all looks right you feel like a bit of an oddball because you're sort of not totally just (laughs) then friends it all starts coming out you know when you have a man on the platform as the naked cowboy and the blasphemy that there is in the church of Jesus Christ under the guise of a business called Hillsongs. Let me tell you, friend, the fruit of that's going to come. But you know, we're living in such a weak age where you can't say that. You're judgmental. I want to tell you, friend, it's the testimony of Christ that I'm about. People running around and cheering and shouting and telling me that some pop star, Bieber or whatever his name is, got saved and everything else. I pray he does get saved. But I want to tell you something, that's a, that's a sham. That is, a sh- that is a shame and it's a sham. One of the great revivals, that Welsh revival, do you know what was revived in it? Because see, for years... It was, it was, it was dead. It was barren. Worship was all, but you know what was revived in the midst of it? Congregational worship. Do you know we experience in this house congregational worship? Remember a few Sundays ago, I want to tell you, friends, we were swimming when the congregation Worship God. There's something precious about it. Let us never lose it. Let us never lose it. When we lose our first love, we will be loving something else. If you've answered anything but Jesus, listen to me, friends, anything but Jesus concerning end times, 
I want to tell you something. You are susceptible. I know this is really strong and some might find it difficult, but you are susceptible to deception. Let me ask you, Jesus called that church to repent. You've fallen. Do the first works, or else what will he do? I'll come quickly. I'll remove the candlestick out of this place. I want to tell you, friends, what we're witnessing. This is New Testament, by the way. This is in the New Covenant. I know the New Covenant and the grace people would hang me for this. I know I'd be like dismembered. For even preaching a message like this, I'm from a different age and a different world. Well, so be it. So be it, friend. I'm interested in numbers, or I'm interested in building a kingdom or a name for myself. I knew from the day we came here that this is not about anything to do with us. The last place in the earth, if you were ever going to start anything for yourself, is Balnehinch. I can tell you that for a fact. But if we, and we are, and this people are, and I know our leaders are, if we're here because we want to see his glory, we want to see his power, and we want to see his name honored, that's the first thing I want before anything else. I want to see his name honored and his name lifted up and bound the hinge on the cross. It's not nothing else but Jesus. If we repent and say, God, we've got something in the way of you. We've got some type of idol in the way of you. We've, we, Lord, we're empty. Our love is not the same. We, we can say the words. We can, we can go through. We often say the motions. We can go through the mechanics. But, oh, I want to ask you this morning, is your love the same for Jesus? <laughs> what has taken his place? Or what sin has robbed you of the joy of your salvation? What habitual sin have you fallen into? Oh, and the outward, listen, friends, I can stick a shirt and tie on, no problem, like anybody else. I can get my King James Bible, and I can walk around as though I've got everything, and I can even try to pretend I'm humble. But, friends, I want to tell you, this whole world is fixated on the outward. You see how they become fixated with it? And if you clean your hands, you wear your I go in the shops, and I forget, I just forget, it's just, I don't know, maybe it happens when you're in your late 40s, but I walk in and I'm walking around and I go, and everyone stare, I forgot my mask. Anyone else done it? <laughs> <laughs> and then I realize, oh no, because I know, I know what's happening. Oh, if we would treat sin that way. If we would treat if we would treat the holiness of God and this, the holiness of God the same way, if we would be so fixated about pleasing God, not in a ritual way or works way, but because we love Him. I want to tell you, friends, what's happening. I'll tell you what's happening. The candlestick is the presence of God. And the candlestick, no matter how great and how big and how super power they may be, and how great on the outward it may all sound, and how they've got everything together, but the candlestick has been removed. That's the presence of God. We want the world to turn and the nation to turn. This is what God says in closing. See, if my people, you're called by my name. If they would humble themselves, and if they would pray, and if they would seek my face, and if they would turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven. I'll forgive their sin. And friends, we need this, and I'll heal their land. God's End time prophetic calendar is working and we're moving through it day by day meticulously. We're in the falling away. We're in the falling away. Saints, 
have nothing else but Jesus at the foremost of your life and your focus, and you'll never go wrong. You may not understand everything about eschatology. I don't. And anyone who says that they do, they don't. Just letting you know that is a secret. They don't know. But if you keep your eyes on Jesus, he's going to bring us all home. And he's coming soon. Is that the door? Are we right? Are we ready? Are we prepared? I pray we are, friends. Let's pray together this morning.